Well, this morning we're going to be looking at a portion of the life of Jacob. Now, I say portion because Jacob's life expands in the book of Genesis from chapters 26 all the way through to 49, so we can't cover it all this morning. But the great thing about being able to read about the lives of these people in the Old Testament is that we can draw upon their stories and be encouraged and learn through them. And so this morning we're going to be looking at particular, in particular at Jacob's wrestling, his wrestling with man, his wrestling with himself, and his wrestling with God. And to do that, I'm simply going to tell you a story this morning. So I encourage you to, to lean back and listen, but also lean into the life of Jacob, because there is so much that we can be encouraged by. Well, our story starts in the book of Genesis with a man named Isaac. Now, Isaac was the son of Abraham, who had been promised to by God that from him a great nation would be born. Abraham's descendants would outnumber the stars in the sky. They would be given land, and they would be God's people, and Yahweh would be their God. This was the covenant made between God and Abraham. Now, Isaac, Abraham's son, had a wife called Rebekah who was barren, meaning she couldn't have children. And so one day Isaac prayed to God and said, Lord, grant my wife children. And God heard Isaac, and Rebekah fell pregnant with twins. But these twins, they didn't give Rebekah an easy pregnancy. In fact, the Bible tells us that the twins caused her great pain because they wrestled and they struggled within her. So great was their wrestling within her that the words used in the Bible to describe the pain was a great crushing or an intense oppression. And so much to Rebekah's relief, the day arrived when the twins were born. The first son, he came out all ruddy and hairy and red in appearance, and so they named him Esau, which means red. The second son, however, quickly followed, literally grabbing onto the heel of his brother, and so they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber, deceiver, or cheat. So eager was Jacob for the title of the firstborn that even from the womb he was wrestling his brother over it, grabbing onto his heel as they were born in the hope that he could surpass his brother to the title of the eldest son. Now the, the role of the eldest son in a patriarchal society, which is what we find ourselves here in Genesis, was important for two main reasons. The first was that it meant you would inherit twice the amount of land, livestock, and wealth as any of your other siblings. And the second was that it meant you had power and dominion over your brothers and the land. So wealth and blessing and power were at stake. And Jacob's desire to surpass his brother and have the birthright of the eldest son was the cause of the wrestling in the womb and the grabbing of the heel from which he gets his name, Jacob. Well, time passed and the boys grew older. Jacob, he was favoured by his mother because he was of mild temperament and he enjoyed living in and around the tents in a quiet kind of life. But Esau, however, he was favoured by his father because he was a wild man and he loved to be out in the fields hunting game and then cooking the stew that Isaac so loved to eat. 
And one day Esau was out in the fields and he was doing what he does best, hunting. And he returned and he was tired and hungry and famished and he could smell a stew that Jacob was cooking in his tent. Give me some of that red stuff you're cooking, demanded Esau, for I am starving. Now Jacob, he he knew his brother. And he knew that Esau's hunger often led him to be in a weakened state. And so he thought, I can take advantage of this situation. I will give you food, Jacob replied. But first, you must sell me your birthright. And by this point, Esau is ravenous. And unlike his previous statement of, I am starving, his desire for food has escalated to the point where he now believes if he doesn't get any food, he will die. Now, Esau, of course, was not dying. It would be like us having walked a really long tramp or done a hard day's labor without any food, and we flop down at our mother's dinner table and we say, give me some food, I'm going to die. So Esau, he replied to his brother and he said, What good is a birthright if I will not even survive this moment to benefit from it? In other words, I'm going to die if I don't get this stew, so what have I got to lose? And so the cunning Jacob says to Esau, do you swear to me? And Esau swore away his birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew. Well, at this point in the story, we're kind of left with a a bitter taste in our mouths, aren't we? Esau has given away his birthright for his stomach, and Jacob the deceiver took advantage of his brother's weakened state for his own personal gain. And we're not feeling overly wonderful about either of the brothers. But unfortunately, the situation only gets progressively worse. Isaac, the boy's father, he was getting old in years and his eyesight was failing and he knew that he didn't have much longer to live. And so he wanted to bless his eldest son, Esau, before he died. So he summoned Esau into his tent and he said, My son, I am old and I do not know the day of my death. Take your quiver and bow and go out into the field and hunt game for me. Prepare me some of the food I love. Bring it to me to eat, and then I will bless you before I die. So we saw set off into the fields to do it as, as his father wished. But listening into the conversation was Isaac's wife, Rebecca, and she quickly went out to her favorite son, Jacob, and said, Jacob, your father is going to bless your brother Esau. You need to go and bring me two choice goats, and I will cook them into the food that your father likes, and you can take this to him, and you can receive the blessing that belongs to Esau. But Jacob, he he wasn't so sure that this plan was going to work, because even though his father's eyes were failing, Esau was a hairy and a smelly man, and Isaac would know it wasn't Esau by touching and by smelling him. So Rebecca took a garment of Esau's and placed it over Jacob's shoulders so that he had the smell of his brother. And then she took the skin of the goats and placed them over Jacob's arms so that he would be hairy like his brother. And all kitted out with stew in hand, Jacob went into his father. And his father heard him come in and said, 
How is it, son, that you've come back from the fields so quickly? And Jacob said, well, the Lord has blessed me today. Come here then so that I can feel you, Isaac said to Jacob. And so Isaac felt the skins on Jacob's arms and and realized they were hairy. You feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Are you really Esau? Is that your name? I am Esau, Jacob replied. So Isaac leant in and he smelt Jacob. And he was satisfied that the garment over Jacob's shoulders was the smell of Esau. And he cried, ah, the smell of my son. And he proceeded to bless him, saying that he would have land and grain and wine and that the nations would bow down to him and that he would be Lord over his brothers. And with the blessing that was meant to be for Esau, Jacob left. Well, not long after Esau, enters his father's tent with the stew he has made for his father. And he kneels at his father's feet for the blessing. But Isaac, upon hearing Esau enter, realizes what has happened and trembles violently, proclaiming to Esau that indeed his brother has come in before and deceived them all by taking the blessing. And Esau, of course, was devastated. And he cried out, Isn't he rightly named Jacob? Twice he has cheated me. He has taken away my birthright and now he has stolen my blessing. Isn't he rightly named Jacob, the liar and the deceiver and the cheat? And so Esau wanted to kill his brother. And his mother heard this and quickly found Jacob and and said, Jacob, your brother wants to kill you. You must flee to the land of Haran to your uncle Laban's household. So Jacob set off, fleeing the fury of his brother. Jacob, the deceiver, was now on the run and he journeyed away from his father's land on toward the land of his uncle Laban. Well, one night on the journey there, he, uh, he settled down to sleep and God, Yahweh, appeared to him in a dream. And Yahweh spoke to him and he said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. You. Yahweh, God, the God of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, was now introducing himself to Jacob, confirming to Jacob that the blessing promised to Abraham all those years ago was now promised to him. How awesome is this place, Jacob declared. I will call this place Bethel. Because the Lord is present here. 
And with God's promise in mind, Jacob carried on his journey toward the land of Haran in the east. Well, Jacob spent many years in Haran. He married Laban's two daughters, Rachel and Leah, and he had many sons and livestock and possessions and worked tirelessly for his uncle. But after a long time living and working there, his relationship with his uncle Laban began to get very tense. And so again, God came to Jacob, this time telling him that it was time for him to leave the land of Haran and return back to the land of his father, to return back to where he came from, and that as he went, Yahweh, God, would be with him. And so it was with Laban behind him, Jacob set off again, this time acutely aware now of what was awaiting him. Because the reason for his time with Laban in the first place was because he was fleeing the wrath of his brother Esau. And now Jacob's fleeing again, but this time back toward his brother who he cheated out of his birthright and blessing. So Jacob's naturally feeling pretty nervous about this encounter. And so he quickly starts to make plans. And he gathers together some men and he, and he asks them to carry a message to his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he says, tell my brother, your servant Jacob is returning with his wives, his children, his flocks and slaves. And he is letting you know so that he may find favor with you. And so the, with the messengers gone, Jacob's back nervously awaiting their return to hear what his brother's response is going to be. And this is what they report back. We came to your brother Esau, they said, and he's coming out to meet you. Him and 400 of his men. Esau was coming to meet Jacob and Esau was bringing an army with him. Well, you can imagine how Jacob is feeling right now. The word in the Bible used to describe Jacob's feelings were incredibly frightened and distressed, a term only used in the Bible when someone is in absolute dire straits or when facing inevitable defeat. And so what does a man do when he comes to the end of himself and is facing defeat? He prays. He says, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O oh Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, please, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I am afraid of him. He may come and kill us all, the mothers with the children. Yet you have said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted because of their number. My Lord, Jacob cries, remember your promise to me. Deliver me. Be gracious toward me. Well, that night, Jacob and his family, they're camped by the river Yabok. But Jacob isn't sleeping. 
In fact, he awakens his sleeping family in the dead of the night and proceeds to get them all, along with the entire livestock, to cross to the other side of the river. And we're not quite sure why Jacob does this. But one thing commentators say about Jacob's actions that are obvious is that these are the actions of a deeply distressed man. And like Jacob, we've all experienced those nights of distress and restlessness over something that may be coming the next day. Perhaps it's not an army of 400 awaiting us, but still a confrontation with another person, a difficult conversation that needs to happen. It's worry over finances or family members. It's anxiety over rumors and gossip that's being spread about us. It's a fear of having been misunderstood or misinterpreted. It's concern of your own supposed shortcomings and failings. And in the dead of the night, when you're left alone with your thoughts, you start to worry and you start to stress, and like Jacob, you're not sleeping. Well, after carting his family across the river, Jacob goes back to the other side to be alone in his distress, but his solitude, it doesn't last long. A man comes to Jacob in the middle of the night and starts to wrestle with him. But this is not just any man who's wrestling with Jacob. It is, in fact, God. Jacob later names the ground that he wrestled on Peniel because he said, I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. Jacob, in the middle of the night, at the most desperate point in his life, facing the deepest anxieties and fears, now finds himself face to face wrestling with God. You see, Jacob has spent his life wrestling wrestling in the womb, conniving for the birthright, cheating for the blessing. He struggled with his uncle Laban, but now in a wrestling match with God, Jacob is having the first honest face-to-face fight that this man has ever had. And in this wrestling match, Jacob is not letting go. In fact, Jacob is holding on so tight that it says he was prevailing over his opponent. But we're not left with the feeling that Jacob is superior by any means. In fact, Jacob's opponent simply touches Jacob's hip to dislocate it. But even with a dislocated hip, Jacob persists. He wrestles and struggles with God all the way through the night until dawn is about to break, at which point his opponent says, release me, let go of me, for dawn has broken. But Jacob refuses and says, I will not let you go until you have blessed me. Sounding familiar. Jacob, the man we've known to have always wanted the blessing, always longed for something more, is now clinging to God for it. Jacob knows that whoever he's wrestling with has something that he needs, but that it's something he cannot provide for himself. The previous blessing Jacob received by his own cunning um, deceit, he received it by trickery. But this blessing he knows he can only get by clinging to the one who can give it to him. I'm not letting go of you, God, until you give me what I know I need, what I've been wrestling for my entire life, but what I have been unable to attain on my own account. 
but God doesn't give Jacob what he wants straight away. Instead, with Jacob clinging to him, God asks him one question. What is your name? And in that moment, Jacob is swept back in time to the first time he was asked that question, sitting at his father's feet, hoping beyond hope to receive his brother's blessing. What is your name? His father had asked him. My name is Esau, Jacob had replied. But now in the first honest wrestle he's ever had, Jacob knows he can't lie anymore. And when God asks him, what is your name? His response is, my name is is Jacob. And in uttering those words, Jacob is confronted with God, but he's also confronted with himself. My name is Jacob. My name is deceiver. My name is cheat. My brother was right all of those years ago when he cried, isn't he rightly named Jacob? And in acknowledging his name after years of trying to live under the blessing of someone else's name, he is acknowledging that he is Jacob, the liar and the deceiver and the cheat. My name is Jacob. And we sit here and we think, what is God going to do? Jacob Face to face with God has finally acknowledged all that he is and all that he has been. How is God going to respond? Well, he responds like this. Not as Jacob you shall be addressed, but as Israel. God gives Jacob a new name because God never leaves us in the old. He is always redeeming and drawing us into the new. Yes, your name was Jacob, but you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. I'm giving you a new name and it will be Israel. Israel, that means you have wrestled with God and you have overcome men. And we know Israel became the great nation of God, the people that through thick and thin, God never, ever let go. Not as Jacob you shall be addressed anymore, but as Israel. Well, God then readily blesses Jacob. And dawn breaks, and the day of meeting his brother Esau arrives. And along with his family, Jacob starts the walk toward his brother in the distance. This time, however, after the wrestle the night prior, Jacob is limping. Jacob, essentially weaker than he was the night before, now has to confront his brother with a limp. One commentator says that um, the new name will forever remind Jacob of his new destiny. The new limp will forever remind him that in Peniel, Jacob met for the first time the one who can overpower him. I like to look at it that with every step Jacob took toward his brother, he was thinking, who am I leaning on? This isn't on my own strength anymore. Who am I leaning on? And in the distance, Jacob sees his brother with his 400 men. And as they get nearer, Jacob places his family behind him and walks out in front, bowing to his brother Esau as he approaches him. And this was Esau's response. 
Esau, however, ran to meet him, embraced him, and flinging himself on his neck, kissed him as he wept. A surprising response from a brother who had previously wanted to kill him. But for some of us here this morning, the words may feel strikingly similar to a parable in the New Testament that Jesus told, which is the parable of the prodigal son. After the son had taken his alive father's money, essentially declaring him dead, and then squandered his inheritance in lavish living and prostitutes, this was the father's response when the son came home. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Both of these scenes are meant to parallel each other to remind us of the gracious, lavish love of God and His continual embrace. Just as the Father embraced the Son, just as Esau embraces Jacob, so God embraces us. And even more remarkable is the word used to describe Jacob's wrestling with God. The Hebrew word used for wrestling in Jacob's story is abak. And the word used to describe the embrace he now finds himself in is habak. Both words deriving from the same root Hebrew word, abak for wrestling, habak for embrace. One sound difference so that the Hebrew readers would have known that often there is very little difference between our wrestling with God and his embrace. In our wrestling, in our clinging, is where God's most intimate embrace is found. And although we we all know how deceitful Jacob was, the beautiful thing about this story is that God wants to redeem any situation. But in order for Jacob to go through this time of redemption where God redefined who he was, he went through a wrestling period where he did not let go. He kept on clinging. But how many times when we're wrestling with God do we let go? And maybe as we're wrestling, we just give up too easily. But for Jacob, it was in that wrestling that the embrace of God was most intimate and most present. It's when we wrestle with God over a broken relationship or wrestle with Him over our direction in life or the death of a loved one or even wrestle with Him over things we thought He was involved in but now appear to be falling apart. But like Jacob, we make a choice whether we hold on to God or we let go. But when we hold on to God, that's when the most intimate embrace, that habak from the abak, is found. That's when God reforms us and renames us. So if you're in that moment and you're here this morning struggling, keep holding on. Keep wrestling like Jacob because the morning will come and you'll realize that wrestling was God's embrace all along. Like the father embraced the prodigal son. Like Esau embraced Jacob. So God embraces us. Amen? Cool. I'm going to get the worship team out now and we're going we're to close in prayer. Why don't we all stand this morning? (laughs) 
God, we come before you this morning um, so thankful for the life of Jacob, for the encouragement and learning we can glean from his life. And, and though it seems odd to pray, God, we also thank you for those times in life when we wrestle because it demonstrates a God that desires an intimate relationship with us. But for those of us who are here this morning or in the, in the midst of struggle and are about to let go, Father, may they keep on clinging to you. And for those who are just at the end of themselves, Lord, I ask that you meet them in that place. We thank you, God, that you're a good and loving and gracious God and that you never, ever let go of us. Amen.